um, Jesus is beautiful and that as we look at him, we are transformed by that beauty. That's, that, that's that, the central idea uh, of all of Christianity. It is that as we look and as we see Jesus, then we are made more and more uh, into his likeness. It, it's, a, it's an exciting thought and that's why we wanted to spend today just thinking about that idea. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about what it looks like for us to fix our eyes on Jesus in all of our lives. Like, like, what does it look like for us to expose ourselves, to see the beauty of Jesus, not just now as we're chatting here, not just as we sing songs, not just as we pray to him. What does it look like to see Jesus and to his, enjoy his beauty in all of the different elements of life? That, that's what I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time chatting about. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about that. Uh, and alongside that, uh, I'm going to st- talk a little bit about what we mean when we say that, we want, that as a church we want to grow in depth. So, so this morning we were looking a bit about growing in width. We want to see more and more people become a part of God's family. Like we just want to see that because we believe it's good news and we, want more, we, we unashamedly want people to share in that good news to become part of the family that God's making. We want that to happen and we believe it will happen because Jesus again and again, when he described the kingdom of God, when he described what he was doing, the images he used were ones of things growing. He'd, he'd regularly say, oh, it's like a plant. Oh, how's it like a plant? Because it grows. That was basically his point. Like, oh, it's like a bush. How's it like a bush? it grows. Like that was like, he just kept saying it over and again, picture and picture, parable after parable, saying what, ha- what Jesus does is he brings in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and that, that kingdom grows. More and more people come into it. That's what we want to see happening. But what I want us to think about is what does it look like for us as a church, as people who, uh, who know Jesus, what does it look like for us to continue growing? All of life, the, the journey of life is a journey of growth. That's the way, the way the Bible paints it. We should all be growing all of the time because Jesus created us to come to know him and then to grow to know and enjoy him more as life goes on. So, so my expectation should be that in a year's time, I will, have enjoyed, I will be enjoying Jesus more than I enjoy him now. I will be following him more closely than I'm following him now. I will be more like him than I am now. Now that should be my expectation because that's the work that God wants to do in us. So I just want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about what does, what does that mean. So they're the two things we're going to be doing during this session. Now, I thought it might be helpful for us to just, uh, just take a step back from that and think a little bit about Grace Church and, Grace, and kind of how we've ended up here. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to um, answer this question. This is the question. What's the most important thing about Grace Church? Okay. And perhaps I'd quite like to get kind of your personal take on it. So not like an answer that's like, well, Jesus is the most important thing about Grace Church. Jesus is the most important thing about Grace Church. Good. Let's get that out of the way. Now let's talk about, like, for, for you personally, what is the most important thing about Grace Church? Here are some, like, questions you might think. I like Grace Church because, for some of you that might be more challenging than others, but, like, assuming that you all joined us for some reason, so you like something about us, then, like, I like Grace Church because, or I would like Grace Church to be, or this year I hope Grace Church dot, dot, dot. I just, want you, I just want you to spend a little bit of time thinking about that. Like, what is it that you'd say, this is what I really like about Grace Church, or what is it that you'd say, this is what I'd love to see Grace Church being like? I'd love it if Grace Church was a bit more like what? So um, just go back into the group you were in before and have a chat about that. Um, you can have like a few minutes just to chat that stuff through, and then we'll, we'll pull it back together and we'll, and we'll start thinking about what it looks like to do that stuff. Great, guys, that'll, that'll, that'll do us for now. Um, it's, 
I just want us to, to think about that. We're going to come back to that idea um, later on today. We're going to come back to just thinking about actually what is important to us about Grace Church. Like, because the church is nothing more than the people in this room. Um, and like, that's what the church is. So, so as we think about, well, what is it that we like about Grace Church? What is it that we want Grace Church to be? Well, that's going to be an important part of how we think about what it is that God calls us to be and what it is that God's uh, calling us to. So we'll come back to that idea later. But before that, I want us to think a little bit about what it looks like to fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, and we're going to do this by looking at these verses. You don't need to open up any Bible. They're going to be there on the screen. I'm going to leave them there all the time that I'm talking about them so you can always see them. Okay, this is, this is what we're going to be talking about. Just these few verses. They're from the book of Hebrews, which we looked through as a church. I've completely lost track of time. So I don't know, a number of months, years? I don't know. Sometime in the past. I'm pretty sure it was pre-COVID because I think we were in the building. Um, so we, we looked at this together. The, here's some verses from Hebrews 12. And I want us to just uh, think about this a little bit um, this afternoon. This is what it says. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I think that's in bold behind me. Like, that's because I, I, I want us to keep that in our heads. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the middle of this section. That, that's, that's the bit that explains how we do what he's calling us to do before and after that. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This morning, um, Scott was putting before us a, a, a picture of who Jesus is. The heart of Jesus. How he relates to us, how he sees us, how he loves us. And hopefully as you were hearing that, you were attracted to that, you were thinking, yes, that's what I need in my life. I need someone like that. I need to know the truth and the presence of Jesus in my life. And so Scott was holding up Jesus for us this morning. And Christianity is basically about holding Jesus up and then just looking at him and keeping looking at him. That's what Christianity is. The Christian, Christianity simply means somebody who follows Christ. And the way we follow Christ is by looking to him. We can't follow him if we're not looking at him. You see, in the middle of this passage, we have that call. Fix our eyes upon Jesus. And notice that it's fix your eyes on him. It's not take the occasional glance at Jesus so that then you can kind of crack on with the rest of your life. It's fix your eyes on him. Not just look at him, not just glance at him. No, fix your eyes on him. Look unwaveringly at him. Look at him and be determined that in all things, whatever the circumstances, whatever's going on, you're going to keep looking at him. You're not going to stop. You're not going to get distracted. You're not going to turn away. You're going to keep looking to Jesus. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever's happening in life. And the reason that we're told in Hebrews this is so important is because it's as we look at Jesus that we are able to run the race that we have set before us. Each of us has a race set before us that we are called to run. 
And we're able to run that as we look to Jesus. And the reason we're able to do that by looking to Jesus is because Jesus is the one who has run the route before us. In fact, more than that, Jesus is the one who came up with the route. See, that, they're, they're the two ideas that it tells us about Jesus here. It tells us that he is the pioneer, take another word, the creator of faith, and he is the perfecter of faith. And what those mean, are those two ideas I've just talked about, that he is the, the pioneer, he's the one who created faith, and he's the perfecter, he's the one who finished it. He's the fulfillment of it all. He's the only person who has lived a truly faithful life and made it to the end. None of us have done that yet. In fact, even when we get to the end of our lives, we won't have done it. You see, without Jesus, there is no Christianity. There is no faith. He's the embodiment of that faith. Yes, he created it, but he also gets to define it. He gets to tell us what faith looks like because it's his more than it's ours. I just want to make this clear at the start. Christianity is what Jesus says Christianity is. I don't get to define it. I don't get to tell you this is, this is the kind of Christianity I like. This is how I like to think about my faith. This is the kind of faith I have. Like, that's fine. It's just not Christianity. It's in the name. Christianity is what Jesus Christ tells us it is. He gets to define it. You see, we talk a lot about the idea of our own personal faith. And I want to be clear, we want a personal faith. My, my goal is that everyone in this room has a personal knowledge and relationship with Jesus. That they know him, that they enjoy him, that they look to him, and they find life in him, and they find forgiveness in him, and they find a meaning for their life in him, and they find all the things that come with knowing him. My prayer for you is that that is personal for you. I can't do that for you. No one else can do that for you. I want it to be personal. But let me be clear... I want you to have a personal faith. I don't want you to have a personalized faith. I don't want you to have a faith that you've kind of gone, mm, I like some bits of Christianity, but could I just have these other things in it? And that can look like loads of things, but I, 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 guess, I guess for, for lots of us it'll be like, I'd like my Christianity with a little less judgment and a decent dollop of Western materialism. Like, that's the kind of Christianity I'd like. Like, if I can just have a bit less judgment and a bit more Western materialism, I'm down with that. And it might not be that for you. It might be something different for you. But we'll all have a temptation that we want to do that. We'll be like, I quite like some of the ideas. Some of them I'm not too sure about. Can we just get rid of those, put those in? Great, I've got my own personal Jesus. No, he's the pioneer. He's the creator of faith. None of us get to define it. I don't get to define it. You don't get to define it. Only Jesus does. That's what Christianity is. And that's why we have to fix our eyes on him. Without him, we don't even know what faith is. Without him, you have your own religion. You know, Bennyanity. Like, that's what you've got. Or, you're not called Ben. You know, you've got whatever it is. You've got your own thing that is, you know, fine. Go, plough that furrow. Go that way. I, you know, that's fine. It's just not Christianity. Jesus is the pioneer, the creator of this faith. But he's also the perfecter of faith. He is the only one who perfectly embodies what faith looks like. If you want to know what faith should look like, look at Jesus. He's the one who's finished the race. He's perfected it because he's completed the journey. He's run his race. He's made it to the end. That's what all that stuff about him sitting down at the right hand of the Father is about. It's saying he's done it. He got to the end of the race and now he gets to sit down. Like he's done it. He's the only one that's done it. We're still, we're still running our race. 
to look to the person who's won his race and run it well. See, this is so important. On the race that Jesus calls you to run, there's a person who's run it and finished it before you. I often think about this. I don't know what you're like at, at like jumping off high things. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I am. Um, I'm not great at like jumping off high things. I like I like the idea of it, and I quite like the the like thrill of it. And I also hate to be thought of like as a bit of a wuss. So like I, I want to do it, but I have that moment that I think lots of people have, where like I've got a friend who's like crazy at that sort of stuff, and he'll just like climb up something and leap off it, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Um, and, and he'll do that. But I won't want to look rubbish, so I'll climb up it and think, yeah, I'm going to jump off that. But you always have that moment, don't you, where you're at the top looking down, and you're like, that's a lot further than I thought it was when I was at the bottom. Like, heights change. Like, as I get up, I'm sure the rocks grow, or like, like, like that seems to be what happens. But I have a basic philosophy for it, which is that if he's jumped off it, and he's still alive, I'm probably going to be okay. Like, that's, that, that's it. And so I'm absolutely papping it. I'm terrified, but I can force myself to jump off that rock on the basis that someone else has jumped off it and they're still alive, so probably I'm still going to be alive at the end. Jesus has jumped off the rock. I don't know. <laughs> That's broadly speaking where I'm going with that illustration. Okay? Like, Jesus run the race before you. You get to see that someone else has done it and they've completed it and they've succeeded and they've gone to sit down at the right hand of the Father. That means you can run the race, knowing that it is possible. It is not an impossible ask. He's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. And actually, he's won a much harder race than you. He ran a harder route. He had to create the route for a start. That's always harder. He ran a much harder race than you, but he's run it. And he's finished it. So fix your eyes on Jesus. And when do we fix our eyes on Jesus? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Is that what today's about? Is today about fixing our eyes on Jesus? Yes. Yes, today is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Is that what we do when we read our Bible? Yes, we fix our eyes on Jesus when we read the Bible. Do we fix our eyes on Jesus as we pray or go to life groups? Yes. But when is it that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus according to what I've got behind me from Hebrews? It's when we're running the race. And the race isn't made up of like little bits of life. The race just is, it goes on. The race is your life. That's the picture here. You don't fit, your race isn't, oh, those moments where I'm in and around Grace Church, day away, Sunday gatherings. Like that's not, that's not the race you're running. So right? Just unbelievable how subtle and unnoticeable Sarah can be when she puts her mind to it. Just not at all disruptive. Um, incredible. Um, just, I love the fact, I thought he needed the toilet, he needed cake. Um, I get that, like, that makes sense. Like, that's where I was, that's where I'm at. Um, so, anyway, where was I? Um, so, yeah, the, the race is your life. You need to fix your eyes. Running the race? You need, to fix, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus during the race. Not during the pit stops, not during the breaks. Not doing the bits. During your race, that's when you need to look at Jesus. This is not a call to, well, every now and again, you need to glance at Jesus. And then after that, you need to get your head down and concentrate on your race. You know, concentrate on what you're doing. Concentrate on getting those feet in front of each other. Now fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking to him. 
Keep them there. Not for some of the race, for the whole race. So, so I just want to be as clear as I can about this. We talked about this idea loads as Grace Church started, and it just dawned on me the last few years. I just think we've talked about it a lot less than we did at the start. Life is not made up of a whole collection of little um, kind of disconnected compartments. That's not how our life functions. So your, your life is not made up, up of, well, I've got family, and I've got work, and I've got church, and I've got hobbies, and I've got the time I spend alone. And like, That's not how your life works. You don't have a whole load of diff- different, completely disconnected sections in your life. You have one life. And yes, you do different things in that life, but all of those things are interconnected, and all of those things are you. You are no more authentically you in any of those places than you are in any of the others. That you're, just, you're you in all of them. All those different elements of who you are, they are all part of who you are. You don't get to go, well, that, I do do that thing, but that's not who I really am. That is who you really are, because you're the one doing it. Like, no one else is doing that. You're the one doing it. You are really that person. And yes, in all of those things, you will be a slightly different person. That's true. Different contexts, we adjust to them. That's fine. But there is only one life, and there is only one you, and it's made up of all of those factors, and they're all interconnected, and they all make up the rich tapestry of your life, of the race that you're running. You see, and that, what that means is, there are not certain elements of your life that Jesus cares more about than others. All elements of our lives make up our race. And Jesus wants us to fix our eyes on him in all of them. Let, let, me, let me try and be clear about this. Jesus cares just as much about how you live when you are by yourself in, in your room doing whatever you do or when you're doing hobbies as he does when you're at work or at church. Jesus cares just as much about how you live your life and the decisions you make, whatever context you're in. Jesus loves you just as much when you are working your job as he does when you're, I don't know, with your family or reading your Bible. Jesus loves you just as much in those moments. Jesus wants you to experience his goodness just as much when you're having a night in by yourself as he does when you're out at life group. Jesus wants you to know his forgiveness just as much in the middle of a stressful time at work or a hectic time with your kids as he does when you're singing songs to remind you of those truths. Jesus doesn't want you to know his forgiveness just at those moments where you're swept away by the music and singing those praises to, to him. He wants you to know his forgiveness when you're in the middle of that stressful situation at home, when you're in the middle of that argument with your, uh, with your colleagues. That's when he wants you to know it. One of, one of my greatest fears for Grace Church, one of the things that I worry most about at Grace Church, is that over time, we become a church of people who turn up on a Sunday, or turn up at life group gatherings, or, or both. Like, I'm very thankful that we have, have a church full of people who, who access those things, that's great. But my, my fear, one of my great fears for um, for Grace Church is that we end up as a church full of people 
who turn up at Sundays, turn up at life group gatherings, get our spiritual hits, and then go out and live exactly the same lives. Um, live exactly the same lives as we would without that. My great fear is that we come, experience some sort of spiritual buzz, spiritual high, spiritual experience, spiritual top-up, and then we go out about our lives never looking to Jesus, never seeing him, basically functioning as if he wasn't there. And when that happens, when Grace Church becomes that, then Grace Church is dead. Like, that's it. Grace Church is over at that moment. Like, it might still function. It might still function as a social club for people who are spiritually inclined. It, it, might, it might function as that. But as a church, as an expression of God's kingdom, it's dead at that moment. There's nothing there. If all we do is come together, have a spiritual experience, and then go out and live lives as if Jesus wasn't there, it's just not a church. Now, I don't, know, I don't know where you are in this. I know we've got a range of people in this room, loads of different experiences. But it might be that as we, as we were talking about that, you look at your life and you go, actually, I struggle to look to Jesus in my work. Like, I go to work and I crack on with the work I've got to do, but actually I struggle to, to allow Jesus to transform the way I do that. It might be as you've been going through that you think, actually, it's, it's not work, but it's in my family life. In my family life, I struggle, to, I struggle to look to Jesus. I struggle to allow him to transform the way that I think about my family. It might be that as you were thinking about that, you were thinking about friendships. How actually you struggle to allow the truth of who Jesus is. You struggle to look to him in your friendships and allow that to transform the way you relate to people, the way you build relationships, the way you talk to people, the things that you do. It may be that it was none of those things. It may be that you, as you look at it, you think, actually it was in my hobbies or it was in um, the time I spend by myself. That's the time where I find myself never looking to Jesus. I, I don't know what it is for you. But it might be that as I've been talking there, the Spirit has just convicted you and just gone, actually, I, you need to, I need to be looking to Jesus in this area. This is the area of my life where I've been just pushing Jesus out, not allowing him to impact it, not allowing the way I deal in that area to be transformed. And so I'm going to, ta- I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to give us a chance to, to just pray about those areas. As you've, been, as you've been thinking about, okay, where is it that I need to fix my eyes on Jesus? Is it in my family life? Is it in my friendships? Is it in my work? Is it in my hobbies? Is it in the time I spend by myself? Like, where is it that I need to fix my eyes on Jesus? And this is, this is what I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest we do. So I've asked a few people. Um, Kathy is here. Uh, Michelle is here. Abby is here. Um, I, if you want, if you, if as you were thinking about that, you were thinking, I just really want, um, I just really want Jesus to fix my eyes in the friendships that I've got. Let me encourage you: just gather around Kathy. Just spend some time praying with Kathy uh, and with those guys around that. If it's if it's family, let me encourage you: gather around Michelle. If it's work, gather around Abby. And if it's something else, I'll be like the bucket in the corner. Like, come gather on me. I'll catch anyone who's anything else. So let me just encourage you. Just, just now, we'll just spend a few minutes. Just go gather around one of those people. There's no requirement for you to pray, but it's just an opportunity for us to, to think, where is it that God's saying, I need to look to Jesus in this area of my life? Um, so, hopefully you've got it. 
um, just, we'll just do it real quickly. Just walk over, stand by Kathy or Michelle or Abby. If you can't remember who's doing what, then just stand next to someone and we'll hope the Spirit leads you to the right one. Um, so let, let's give that a go. So yeah, um, do it quick. Uh, let's spread out. Let's do some, spend some time praying. I'm an other bucket here. So I just want to spend a, a few more minutes just thinking now about if, if Jesus wants us to fix our eyes on him in, in every area of our life, whatever that is, and if you're there uh, like me thinking, man, there's areas in my life where I, I struggle to look to Jesus, where I struggle to allow him to guide the way I, I behave in those things, where I struggle to experience his goodness in those places, like if, if you're like that, then the question is, what do we do? Like How do we run our race with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And, and I, want to, I basically want to say that if you want to run your race with your eyes fixed on Jesus, then you need to run your race and you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, I know I've basically just said you need to do those things by doing those things. Um, but but let, let me try and unpack a little bit. So, so what, what I want to say first is that you need to run your race you see, I think one of the problems we have is we get obsessed by other people's races. We just get overly concerned about the races that other people are running. And I think there's two primary ways that this shows itself. And this, these are things that you will see um, in your life probably, and they're things you will see in the life of Grace Church. Here are two ways that we see ourselves getting obsessed by someone else's race. The first way is envy. Sometimes it just looks like envy. We look across at someone else's race, and their race just looks better than ours. You're, like, you're looking over, and you're like, how come they always seem to be running downhill, and I'm always running uphill? Like, what's going on there? Like, why does their race look so much easier? And then you look over them, and you think, their scenery looks so much better. And they've got, like, so many people cheering them on. And you become disheartened in your own race. You become discouraged. You give up. Now, why has that happened? Well, it's happened because your eyes are fixed in the wrong place. You become overly concerned in someone else's race instead of running your own. What does it look like for you to fix your eyes on Jesus in your race? Let me make this as personal as I can. What does it look like for you to fix your eyes on Jesus in the workplace that you're in? Not in some hypothetical workplace, not, oh, well, what does it look like generally for somebody to fix their eyes on Jesus in work? No, what does it look like for you to fix your eyes on Jesus in the workplace that you go to if you go to one? So if, when you roll out of bed on Monday and you go there, what's it going to look like for you to fix your eyes on Jesus there? What does it look like for you to fix your eyes on Jesus in the family that you're in? Not what does it look like generally to fix your eyes on Jesus. What does it look like for you with the family that you've been given to fix your eyes on Jesus? with the personality that you have, with the interests that you have, what does it look like for you to fix your eyes on Jesus? Run your race and fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't run someone else's race. Don't look at someone else's race. You have a race, and it's yours to run. Don't look at someone else's race. Don't try to run their route. Don't fix your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the only one who's finished the race. So it can look like envy. Here's the other thing that it can look like. 
And, and you'll see this probably in your life, definitely in the life of Grace Church. You see, sometimes it doesn't look like envy. Sometimes it looks like resentment. You're winning your race, and it feels hard, and you look at someone else, and they don't seem to be running very hard. And you wonder, why am I running so hard? And that can look like a million things. It can look like asking the question of, like, why am I hosting life group when no one else is? Let's just be, let's be brutally honest and as, as, as personal as we can. It can look like, why am I the one hosting life group and no one else is opening their house up? You wonder, why am I the one who's giving money into the church or into other things when everyone else just seems to be spending on whatever they want? And what happens is, you start to look at other people's race. Well, what money are they giving? What are they doing? How much hosting are they doing? How much serving are they doing? And resentment builds. And it builds because you've just got too focused on someone else's race. Not your race. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I want us to be able to speak into other people's lives. And I want us to be able to talk to people about the race they're running. But I also want us to be clear that my call is to run my race. That's what God calls me to. So the question about, I don't know, the question about whether I'm going to host a life group or not is not a question of, well, how much is someone else doing? It's, what's God calling me to do? With the resources he's given me, with the personality he's given me, with the situation he's put me in, what is it that God's calling me to do? What someone else is doing or not doing has nothing to do with what God is calling you to do with your life. The race that he's called you to lead. You're not called to run someone else's race for them. You're called to run your own. And you're not called to compare your race to someone else's. You're called to fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, we, we become inspired for our race. We become enabled for our race. Not by looking at someone else's race and comparing our race to theirs. We become inspired and enabled to run our race by looking to Jesus. The question that each of us need to be asking is, what is the race that God has marked out for me? That's the question that matters. What is it he's calling me to do? What does following Jesus look like for me in the places that God has put me? So the first thing we need to do if we're going to do this, if we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and all life, we've got to, we've got to run our own race. Got to think about the places and the, that God's put us, the people that He's made us, and run that race. Don't fix your eyes on someone else. Don't try and run someone else's race. Run your own. And the next thing we've got to do, if we're going to do this, we've got to work out what clouds our vision. So, what are those things that prevent you from seeing Jesus? What are those things that prevent you from looking to Him? What are the things that prevent Him from impacting your life in work or? Um, friendships or family or wherever it is. What are those things that get in the way of that? They'll be different for each one of us. But here in Hebrews, we have two things pulled out that do it. Well, we've got one and then we've got kind of a generic statement after that. But let's, do, let's deal with the one first. The, the first one is, is the sin. It's sin. That's what he says. Okay? Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. What prevents you from seeing Jesus in all of life? Sin will prevent you from doing that. Because what sin does is it clouds our vision. It distorts the way we see things. 
If you want to fix your eyes on Jesus, you've got to stop letting sin get in the way. You've got to stop allowing your anger to blind you to Jesus' gentleness and kindness. We've got to stop allowing drunkenness to blind us to Jesus' self-control and care. We've got to stop allowing our love of money to blind us to Jesus' generosity. We've got to stop allowing our pride to blind us to Jesus' humility. We've got to stop allowing our porn habit to blind us to the dignity with which Jesus treated everyone. Like, sin clouds your vision. Every single thing that I've mentioned there will cloud your vision. It will prevent you from seeing Jesus clearly. It will prevent you from recognizing his beauty, from being transformed from him. You've got to throw off the sin that entangles you. You see, we don't look to Jesus in all of life so often because we tolerate sin, and sin distorts the way we see the world. It distorts the way we see Jesus. It gets in the way of us running the race well. And the other thing that is talked about in this section is, and this is what I mean by that kind of generic catch-all, he talks about the things that hinder. Now that's harder to talk about, in part because it's not very specific, but also because it'll be different for each one of us. And it requires a little bit of us actually taking a bit of responsibility and thinking for ourselves. You've got to, we've got to sit back and go, what are those things that maybe are not sinful, but I know just get in the way of me seeing Jesus. I know they just, they just prevent me seeing him. Clearly, they stop me looking at him. I, I, I thought, well, you know, seeing as I'm going to talk to all you guys about it, I should probably do it. And so I thought, what are those things for me? Like, what are those things for me that are not sinful, but I know that, if I, if, that I've got to take steps to stop them getting in the way of me seeing Jesus. Here's a few of them for me. I know that too much time by myself stops me from just seeing Jesus very well. I just know that's true. I just know it's not helpful for me. Because what happens if I have too much time by myself, I tend to become lazy, unfocused, and selfish. That's the reality. That's, that's, my, that's my heart. That's where I am. If I have too much time left to my own devices, I default to laziness, the kind of a lack of focus and selfishness. Now, I want to be clear, time alone is not a bad thing. And some of you will flourish during those times. One of our good friends, um, one of our good friends uh, as a church, Gary Aston, down at, at Redeemer, he loves time by himself. He's got this like, little like, cabin that he goes to that has no electricity. And he'll go and spend like, days there by himself, just like, meditating on the scriptures and like, worshipping God. And Tom Throw, one of the other elders at Redeemer, and Gary's like, you've got to go out there. You're going to have a great time. Just go out, spend some time with God, uh, and you'll have a great time. And um, I spoke to Tom afterwards, like, how was it? He was like, uh, I went for a day, I got a bit bored. <laughs> Came home. <laughs> like, we're just different. Like, for some people, that helps them fix their eyes on Jesus, and they see him as so beautiful in those times. For others of us, that just makes us lazy and selfish and unfocused. What it does to me. What else is it for me? I've got to limit my access to hobbies. It's got to be clear. I've got to limit my access to hobbies. Because I know that I can be obsessional about things. Hobbies are good. Mest is good. But too much of them is not good for me. It's just not good for me. So I've got to exercise discipline in that area. I've got to go, what does it look like for me to schedule a week so that I can't just plug time into hobbies? So I know that that will distract me from seeing Jesus and serving him and living for him and enjoying him. Similarly, I've got, to, 
I've got a, too much free time is a bad thing for me. And so one of the things I've learned that, uh, uh, that Sarah and I kind of work on hard, a calendar helps me. A calendar helps me so much. Some people, that doesn't help. Fine. But I know what happens. If I don't plan an evening, if I don't plan what I'm going to do with a week, then all that stuff that's empty in my calendar gets taken up by selfish exploits. That's what I do with it. I just fill that time with stuff that I want to do. Because I haven't thought about it. You see, I find it much easier to, to, to think what would me running the race God has set for me look like before the week than I do in the middle of the week. It's just, it's that, it's just that simple for me. If I'm going to look to Jesus, I find it much easier to look to Jesus at the start of the week and say, what does this look like, than I do in the middle of it to go, okay, I need to be looking to Jesus now. So I've just got to do some certain things. That's it for me. What's it for you? It's almost definitely not those things because you are not me. But there will be things that are not sinful. None of those things I've talked about are sinful. I just know that for me, they get in the way of me looking to Jesus, enjoying Jesus, seeing Jesus. Recently, I've been watching a TV show called Ted Lasso. Um, I know a few people have watched them. I know the majority of people in the church who have been watching it have already left, so that's a shame. Um, but anyway, it's about an American guy. It's a fictional story. It's about an American sports coach, and he's never coached at a professional level. All he's coached is like college basketball. Um, uh, and he's American, he knows nothing about football. He knows nothing about football, and he comes over to, to coach a, a fictional Premier League football team. That's the point of the story. Okay, it's the story about how Ted Lasso, this guy who knows nothing about football, has never coached professional sport, how he does managing a professional Premier League football club. And I just want to, I want to show you a clip from that, and I just want to talk a bit about that as we move on with this. So let me see if I can make this work. I think I just need to click play, do I? This one. Cool. Tradition. Let battle commence. Ted Lasso? Hey there, Ollie. Leave it. Al, what are you doing here? Wait, I mean, you invited me, remember? I invite every person who's been in my car. Oh. Hey, Ollie. This is my friend Trent. Trent, this is my buddy Ollie. Please meet you. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> right, gentlemen. You know what you have in? Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, whatever the chef recommends. Ah, uh, that'd be my father-in-law. Are you okay with a little bit of spice? Have him make it for us like we're a couple members of the family. <laughs> You're a brave man. <laughs> oh, man. That might not be the wisest of choices. Here you go, boys. <sighs> Dig in. Can't wait. Smells already deep inside my brain. Gonna love it. Oh, appreciate it. Can't imagine they have good Indian food in Kansas. Oh, I have no idea. I've never had Indian food. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, that's hot. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I feel like I'm about to breathe fire. <clears throat> I don't think I can eat that. Mm. Uh -uh. No, no, no. Come on now. We got to put a decent dent in this. Otherwise, we're going to embarrass Holly in front of his family. No, really, I can't. Are you enjoying the food? Tell your father-in-law is perfect. Ah. Dad, he says it's perfect. Ted, mm -hmm. what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. I know that. I do. 
Tramp, what do you love? Is it writing? Yes. Yeah, well, good, because you're darn good at it. Thank you. Welcome. Me? I love coaching. Now, I'm going to say this again, just so you didn't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, Trent. But neither is growing up without someone believing in you. I really should go. Deadlines and all. Yeah, yeah, you gotta do the work. I, I, I'll say this, though. I really enjoyed getting to spend this time with you, Trent. You actually mean that, don't you? Thank you. You're welcome. You see, Ted's basic philosophy is straightforward. So building a football team is not primarily about understanding the game. It's not primarily about tactics. It's basically about people. It's about how do you to take his language, how do you make the people the best versions of themselves? The team is a collection of people, and he's much more concerned about those who those people are, how they behave, the culture those people create, than he is about anything else. You see, what does he say there? He says, winning and losing, that's not the goal. His basic point is, that's not the goal. They're a byproduct of everyone in that team being the best version of themselves they can be. Now, I want to talk a little bit about growth. I said at the start I was going to talk a little bit about growth and what I think it looks like for us to grow as a church. And when I want to, when I talk about it, I feel a bit like I want, to, I want to be like Ted Lasso. I feel a bit like that, that's where we are. I want, to say, I want to say when we're talking about growing in depth that you know, Michael talked this morning about growing in width. We exist to share good news of Jesus. That's a part of what it looks like us to grow. But I feel a bit like Ted Lasso when he says, I don't care about winning or losing. Of course he cares about winning and losing. They're a professional football team. They only exist to win or lose. They literally have no function if they don't win or lose. He doesn't mean that he doesn't care about that fundamentally. He just means that you achieve that by going after something else. You achieve the thing that the football club's about, not by going after wins and losses as your primary goal. You achieve it by going after the people and saying, how do we make these people the best people they can be? How do we create the culture in this church that makes this, or in this team for him, that makes them the best team that they can be? In a similar way, I would want to say, I don't care about numerical growth at Grace Church. Now, of course I do, in the same way that Ted Lasso cares about winning and losing. But I just believe that you don't achieve that by going after that. That's not where our heart needs to be. You see, it's not that I don't care about how many people come on a Sunday, about baptisms, about the number of life groups, about leaders raised up, about people freed from debt, about families helped. I do care about those things, and we should care about those things, just as much as Ted really cares about winning and losing. But Ted cares about winning and losing, but he believes that that success ultimately comes from investing in his team as people. Similarly, we want numerical growth. We want to be a blessing to our time. We want to raise up leaders. We just believe that those things come about primarily by not going after those things, but by fixing our eyes on Jesus and running the race marked out for us. So here's my vision bit. 
for the, for the next year at Grace Church. Here's, here's what I'd love growth to look like. If we were to come back here in a year's time, this is what I'd love to be able to reflect on. This is what I'd love to be able to say. I'd love to be able to look back and just go, you know what? People in Grace Church are just so much more hospitable now than they were a year ago. I, I really want to be clear. I don't want you to hear this as a criticism. It's just that's what growth looks like. I'm not saying we're not hospitable. I'm just saying that I'd love us to grow in that. I'd love to, I'd love to sit here and just to sit down and just share stories about how someone in Grace Church, maybe someone who wasn't naturally really outgoing, how someone just got alongside someone who just joined was really shy, how they invited them round, how suddenly there was a friendship there that didn't exist before. I'd love to hear stories about how much people's marriages have improved. Stories of how people in Grace Church are just enjoying building a life together so much more than they were a year ago. How they're communicating so much better. How they're pointing each other to Jesus. How they're loving each other and loving others better than they were this time. I'd love to be able to reflect that people in Grace Church get, get drunk less than they do at the moment. I'd love to be able to look back and just go, actually, people in Grace Church have kind of recognised that self-control, wise actions, gentle speech are more important than the escapism and the social norms that comes with just drinking too much. I'd love to be amazed at how our life groups have improved, our life group gatherings. I'd love to be able to look back and just go, do you remember we used to have all those conversations about how no one washed up? We never have those conversations anymore. Now, that'd be great. That's growth. That's what growth looks like. To hear how people have worked together to make life group gatherings as good as they can be. I'd love to hear of people in Grace Church who have got alongside friends who were hurting and grieving and how they've just cried with them and hugged them if, if they're into that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, and been there for them and pointed them to the truths of the gospel. I'd love to reflect on how people within Grace Church have become more truthful than ever, more willing to tell the truth even when it's inconvenient, even when it's scary. I'd love to hear stories of unexpected people who are meeting up and praying together and talking about Jesus. You know, I'd, I'd love someone just to go, do you know those guys were meeting up? And I'd be like, no, I had no idea. Isn't that cool? That's what growth looks like. I'd love to reflect that at Grace Church, people are quick to praise, quick to encourage, slow to complain. I'd love to be overwhelmed by stories where people are sacrificially serving other people because they love Jesus and they love that person. I'd love to be able to reflect in a year's time on the innumerable times and examples where we failed and where we've been able to forgive each other. That's what growth looks like. My vision for Grace Church is not primarily that we'd be 100 people by this time next year. It's not that we'd have five life groups. It's not that we'd have established new ministries. In some ways, it's much more modest than that. It's that bit by bit, step by step, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we run our race, we're increasingly transformed, to take Ted Lasso's words, into the best versions of ourselves. Not the best versions of ourselves that we define, the best versions of ourselves as God defines it. I don't know what you said at the start of today where I said, 
hey, just think about what it is you like about Grace Church. Think about what it is you'd like Grace Church to be. My guess is, it's a guess, but I might be entirely wrong because I didn't get any feedback, so who knows. My guess is that primarily, the stuff that we like about Grace Church, the stuff that matters, it's that stuff. It's that people have welcomed us. It's that people have loved us. It's that people have been there for us at difficult times. It's that in Grace Church, we found people who won't judge us. It's that in Grace Church, we found people who are able to forgive us. My guess is that's what matters to us about the church. I might be wrong, but that seems to me what's important. So what does that mean for the church? Verse I've been thinking a lot about. For me, as, as a kind of leader here at Grace Church, So Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What what is it we want to do as a church? What are we going to do this next year? Our goal is we put things in place that help you that equip you to fix your eyes on Jesus and become a bit more like him. I know, I know my heart will be impure. I know my motives will be impure. And I've spent a long time over the last couple of weeks trying to test my motives and think, what is it that motivates me? And I'm sure there's a lot going in there. But I can, I can truthfully say that, one of, that the primary motive why I work for Grace Church, why we set up Grace Church, why I pour time into Grace Church, It is because I want us to equip you to look to Jesus and to grow to be more like him. I don't don't have some other hidden secret agenda. I'm not trying to get rich. I I mean, I really don't think I am. Like, I've I've tested my heart. I've thought about it. I I don't think that's where I'm at. I'm not, I'm not, I'm sure there's something about status in there. I'm sure there's something about pride in there. But that's not what drives me primarily. Like the reason that I pour time into this, the reason that Michael, on top of a full-time job, pours time into this, is simply, we just want to equip you guys to look to Jesus and know him. To be made more like him. If you're a Christian here today, you are a child of God, loved by him, forgiven by him, being transformed by his spirit. And as a church, all we're trying to do, imperfectly, I'm sure, But all we're trying to do is put in place structures and things that will help you to live out that identity in every sphere of your life. That's all we're trying to do. We think Sunday gatherings help with that. We think life groups help with that. We think other things we do in the year help with that. You see, the church is not the leaders. It's not the meetings. It's not the structures. It's you. And as a church, we want to put in place structures which equip you to live out your identity as children of God in your marriages, in your workplace, in your life groups, in your friendships, wherever it is that God has put you. We want you to flourish. We want you to enjoy Christ. We want you to find loving relationships. We want you to be transformed by God's Spirit because the church being what we're called to be is nothing more than us being who God calls us to be. That's all we mean by that. So, I'm not going to spend any time because I guess by the noise that they're trying to keep the kids kind of simmering for a little bit. So, 
So this is kind of how we've been thinking about our year this year. Don't jot down any dates because, as Amy reminded me, I change them all the time. But, but this, is, this is, broadly speaking, how we think about a year. Uh, and what we do, what we're trying to do is go, we want you to live out your Christian identity in the places that you are. We don't want to take all your places from you. So what we're trying to do is go, we don't want too much stuff in here. Okay, we don't want meeting after meeting after meeting so that what you do is you kind of go, the way it looks like for me to fix my eyes, Jesus, keep going to Grace Church things. What we want to do is we want to put certain things in place that we think will equip you to do that. So we have a couple of events that we've looked at there. One that is, why is life so overwhelming? One that's on self-care, trying to help us engage with what does it look like to do that. We're going to do some Grace Church topic stuff, which are going to look at some kind of theology and practical Christian living in different ways. We're, we've got some life group and assistant life group leader stuff in there. We've got a preaching course because one of the things we want to do as a church is train up new leaders. And then we've got the normal stuff of life, life groups, Sunday gatherings. And just to help you understand the random colours, the stuff that's kind of in that bluey grey thing, so life group, Good Friday, day away, that's stuff that we kind of think probably most people in the church are going to go to that. It's not like you all have to come, but we just think that's stuff that kind of most people in the church are going to engage with in some way. Not everyone, but most people. The stuff that's in green, that's stuff that there's a group of people who are passionate about growing and leading and uh, uh, within Grace Church, and that's stuff that they're going to go to. And then there's the stuff that's in the kind of yellowy, and that's stuff that's just basically it's there. It might be that as a church, everyone goes, that doesn't help me, so no one comes. Great, we won't do it again next time. Or it might be that there's a group of us that go, actually, that really helps me. That is something that I need to think through. I need to work through why life is so overwhelming because I constantly feel overwhelmed. So I'm going to go to that. It's kind of a, you can go to it if you want to, but if you don't, that's absolutely fine stuff. And what we're trying to do is go, we don't want to fill up everyone's lives and everyone's weeks with different things. So that's, broadly speaking, how we're thinking about the year. And, and here is, here is my, my final piece. One of the things I often, people often struggle with is, do I go to something or not? How do I decide whether to go to something or not? And so we end up either going because we feel obliged or not going and then feeling slightly guilty that we didn't go. Here's, here's a set of questions I think you can ask yourself to, to think through. Am I going to go to something that Grace Church is offering? Because as I've said, our, our goal is to equip you to live out your Christian identity. Our goal is not to increase the number of people coming to our events. If they're not serving you, great. So here's some things. One, does it help me hear from God and worship him? If you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus, is this going to help me do that? Does this equip me to live for God in the specific places God has placed me? Or is this something I could invite someone to or go to, go to with someone? So that could be someone from Grace Church or a friend who isn't a Christian. Is this a good space for that? Question three, does this help me build relationships with and encourage my church family? Question four, is this a space where I can use the gifts God's given me to love and serve others? You might look in the event and you might go, I'm not interested in that. But actually, I could serve there. I've got some insight in that. I've got some gifts that God could use in that context. And then this is the critical one. Because often we do those first four questions and we go, I probably should go then. But this is the critical one. Are there other things which God's calling me to use that time for? Because it might be that you go, yeah, that could help me worship and look to God. But actually, there's this other thing that's really important that God's put in my life. That's great. It's absolutely fine. Like, what are the other things you could use that time for? And are there things that God's talking to, calling you to do? And then the final thing is just talk to other people. Because sometimes you might go, actually, I don't know if this would be useful for me. So just talk to someone about it. Ask them, would this be useful for me, do you think? 
You don't have to do what they say, but it's just another voice speaking into it uh, and speaking about it. I've, I've blown up time. I don't know quite how I've blown up time, but I have. Um, so let me pray for us and then we'll call it a day. Lord Jesus, my prayer for each and every person in this room is that they would see you more clearly and that as they see you, they would grow to be more like you. Lord God, I I long for each of us in this room to be equipped and enabled to run the race that you set before us. To become more like you. And Lord God, I just pray that in a year's time or in a month's time and in five years' time we'd be able to talk back and just see stories of how you have transformed and, uh, and uh, improved our marriages and our workplaces and our relationships with each other and oh, so many of the things we talked about. Lord God, I thank you that we don't do this alone, but that we do it through the pioneer and perfecter of our faith and through the spirit that he gives us. Amen.